0: Welcome to an all-new episode of Outside the Tank. I'm Tom Healy. Let's go. We've got Dr. Robert of Sea Rescue Streamer. Now, he goes into Shark Tank asking $200,000 for 20% of his company. This is an air date of Season 8, Episode 22, which was April 21st, 2017. So a little while ago, and he's been in business for a while, which I'll, I'll get to in here in a second. But the product is a visual location device on sea and land. So imagine you're hiking in the mountains and you have no cell phone reception and you break your leg and you need to call for help or you're in the middle of the ocean. It's a way to cast a uh, signal that would be more likely to be picked up from a helicopter or whoever it may be. So great idea, sold it into the military. Obviously a lot of consumers, boating, mountains, all that stuff uh, would find this to be uh, very valuable. over 15 years of having this product, he had done 15 million of sales and kind of had an interesting license agreement with uh, the product, which we'll get into in the interview. Um, the previous year, he had done about 200,000 and then um, the year of, of airing, he uh, had done about 250,000. And uh, there was two versions. There's a $78 small version and $118 big version. If I was going to be out on a boat and uh, was worried about being left at sea. I think I'd splurge the extra $40 for the big one. So uh, he did not get a deal, um, but this guy's fascinating, and this was such a great conversation. So hope you enjoy it, and we'll talk afterwards about some of the things we learned from this great entrepreneur. All right, Doctor Rob, welcome to outside the tank. It's uh, such a pleasure to have you here. Uh, recently you. watched your clip on Shark Tank, so it's uh, very fresh in our minds. Um, yeah. Your your story, and uh, just so curious to learn more about it. Uh, right. Start start at the beginning. I, I want to know because you know, it didn't really get covered too much on the on the episode. Obviously, after editing, right? Where did the original idea come from, and Okay. What was your experience running the business up until Shark Tank? Because I know there's a lot of moving pieces personally oh, professionally there. I'd love to hear more about that.
1: Okay. Well, in the 80s, I came to Hawaii, University of Hawaii, to get my PhD working on volcanoes. And my fl- friend flew us to Kauai on a rented airplane, a Cessna. And it sounded like a rented plane. It looked, it sounded like it was going to go down. And I looked down, and all I saw was big blue water. And the, next time you're on a plane, look down. And tell me if you can see a coconut floating in the water or a rock on a mountain. You can't. And that's what happens after you use your smoke, flares, sea dye, even your E-perf. And they, even if they know where you are, they still need a visual. You talk to any person. And that really stuck with me. And I thought I could swim to shore, but my wife wasn't going to make it or the other people. You know, That's a long swim. So a couple of weeks later, I flew to Florida. I grew up in Miami. And Christo, the artist, had, had wrapped the islands in pink plastic. I don't know if you know that. And it just made a striking image on my head. I get a lot of good ideas on airplanes a lot of time. And it took me years to, or months to figure out to, I wanted just, if I said, if I have just a piece, piece of pink plastic out behind me, like a long orange tail, a long pink tail, they could see me. And I figured out how to put struts in it. So it's like a centipede, it won't twist up. I showed it to a Navy guy across the way from me. And he goes, hey, I like the idea, but lose the pink. You know, pink is not a big color in the military. So we went to International Orange. And I just kept, you know, I never quit my day job and just kept chipping away at it. I've got all these ideas, but that one never left because I knew it was right. There was no batteries, chemicals, electronics. I'm a boater, fisherman, big wave surfer. I'm used to being out there. Stuff breaks all the time. This can't break. It's a piece of plastic. So I knew it was right. And I just kept plugging away until I got a license. I got a military looked at it. They tested it, approved it. Got all the military approved it. Then I got a licensee. I kept working the media. I'm kind of a media whore. I should, I should warn you that I, I, you know, (laughs) I worked with this guy before on smoking the cockpit. This other inventor over here in Hawaii. I got it on CNN, Wall Street Journal. So I I got, and my brother was in advertising. He taught me, he goes, listen, there hundreds and thousands of editors sitting on their ass wondering what they're going to write about. So get out there. And these were the early days. I would wait till 1101 at night to do a mass faxing because telephone was cheaper after 11. And (laughs) I I would just fax the same one page press release a hundred times till someone, you know, wrote back. And then if I got an article, Miami Herald was the first one, then I I would fax that a hundred times. And then people would call me back and go, okay, I'll, you want me to call you back? I'll call you back. And like Outside Magazine, it took three years to get them to write about it. But I kept getting the credibility from the military and the approvals, and the media kept exposing it. Had a good run uh, with a licensee, and then the license ended, and then the Shark Tank thing came up. And ever since the first season of Shark Tank, people said to me, ah, you got to be on Shark Tank. you know. So I said, yeah, sure. I, tr- I tried, and then it, I tried once, like half-assed, but then they had a cattle call down at uh, the Ala Hotel, and I knew a 1,000 people were going to be there, so I approached it like a surf session, go early before it gets crowded. So I went at 5 in the morning. I was 7th in line, so I caught the producers fresh, and I can deliver bullet points, and I had all the patents, military approvals. It's a save lives and a good pitch. I had a backstory. My wife had gotten sick. She she became paralyzed from MS. So I took care of her while I was raising the kids. So I got all this whole story, and they just they just ate it up. And then it took months of video uh, interviews and applications till you get on there. And even if you get even if you film, you're not necessarily going to go get aired. So it's very nerve wracking.
0: What the the licensee? I'm curious because it seemed like it was a really long term relationship. Yeah. Did you just hand them the product and say, sell it and give me a cut. I mean, what was that relationship
1: like? Um, and, and yeah,
0: just walk us through it. I was very sure. curious about that.
1: So I, I had a, I had this great attorney in L.A. And she and I, this is my, one of my top ten inventions is my license agreement. I The two of us came together with this profit sharing license agreement where I would be worked into the license as the PR frontman And it was against guaranteed royalties and the licensee would be an instant owner if i ever sold it so it was a very well written win-win thing it was a total win-win and the licensee and i you know we we commonly didn't see eye to eye over the 15 years but it lasted 15 years because it was such a win-win and that that really was the key And, and it enabled me to get it to the next level. You know, he he built a big structure around it and I got a royalty off sales against a minimum. So if the, if the royalty wasn't high enough, I mean, if the royalty was, let's say we sold zero, I got the same royalty payment. So that puts the impetus on him to sell. You can, you're not gonna sit on it. I don't wanna license it to someone that just sits on it and says, oh, we didn't make any money this month or this quarter, you don't make any money. I'm like, no, I'm not doing that. So I had big minimums because I was coming off the military and the Navy approval. So there was this huge market. And, you know, we just worked it out where it was a win-win. And we just kept working on it. You know, we, we, we got a, a lobbyist at one point. We had a, He had a staff of 20 people, 30 people at one point, selling it all over the world, traveling the world to different militaries. And it was great. We worked together well, despite that you wouldn't have guessed it. So that relationship ends, and then right. what,
0: are, what are you handed off, or what are you left with at that point?
1: Well, at, at that, at, well, in the agreement, you, know, you always get your divorce before you get married. So I knew it ultimately it's going to end, so what do I want at the end? So we were careful to write in things, like I get all the manufacturing materials back, and he kept a lot of the uh, raw materials, but he had the option to sell them to me. So I bought a bunch of stuff back. And then I went through the process of trying to license it again. And, you know, it, it was very difficult to get someone to pay a minimum that was commensurate with what I thought it was worth. And ultimately, my, one of my surfboard shapers on the North Shore said to me, he goes, hey, you know how to make them? I go, yeah, I invented how to make them. He goes, make them yourself and keep all the money. I'm like, ding. And early on, I was a big licensed guy, but there's a guy... Again, you guys are too young, but the guy invented a paper calendar that fit on your wristwatch. You ever heard of these things? You definitely didn't, but this was pre-everything. And there's a book called Standalone Inventor. And this guy, he he had this book about how you invent something, patent it, you work the media, but you control everything. You manufacture it, you distribute it. And we used to have battles going, that's no good. You got to manage all these people. I want to license it. And keep inventing other things. So we had this whole back and forth. I wrote a book, Hardcore Inventing, and he, you know, he did the, one of the cover blurbs on it. But he ultimately, I went to his system, and I said, "Shit, I'll, I'll run him. I'll run the thing because, you know, I can do it." And there's the other problem with with running a company now is I, I have a golden rule: never be an employee and never have an employee. That's the <laughs> that's the home run. You can do that, that. Like rule. I'm telling you, it's hard to pull off. I mean, you, you get contractors when you need it, you know, and and like for instance, Amazon does a lot of my fulfillment. So yes, I, I I lose a percentage or give a percentage to my reps and then Amazon. So it's two sets of reps, but I have to deal with it. I don't have to deal with anything except selling. I'm a manufacturer. I sell, set, ship hundreds of units, thousands of units instead of onesies, twosies and people complaining. So I have that sector covered. And then the military... Over the 15 years and even five before that, I built a relationship with the community worldwide, military survival groups all over. I'm part of the SAFE Association. And I just kept working that and then went back to that and I had reps built up and I keep building up more reps. If you want to represent me in X country, you know, we can talk about it. And that's that's the way I built it and I'm still doing that. And, and the, the main business is through the military because selling safety is difficult selling you know s- civilians don't care about safety i mean look look at the, the history of it we had to be forced to use seat belts. we had to force to put airbags in our car the people that care are the people that are paid to care the military every life is much more valuable to them they train the soldier and you know they want them to live anyway so it's just it was an easier people to approach because they're much more safety conscious so that's till to this day it's still a struggle. Think about it. I had nine million eyeballs on Shark Tank, and even even the sharks. I have all five of them love the technology, but they didn't want to invest because they knew. First of all, they, they they thought survival in the military. They didn't know anything about it, but more so, what was striking to me is that you know it's all about money for them, and that that was shocking to me because.
2: Well, they, you know, they commended you, Dr. Rob, they commended you on the lives you were saving and the, and the work that you were doing. But ultimately they almost to a person, they felt like you couldn't reach the consumer. It was right. too hard. It would take too much time. It would never scale. And that right. was, you know, that was stuck in their heads.
1: Exactly. And it was partially my fault because I was so forthcoming. You watched nine, you watched seven minutes. I, I was in there for an hour and a half and, it was great. It was a great experience, and uh, you know, I, I just—I still couldn't get over. it. I, I came in with such a low valuation and offer because I wanted. The producers had warned us, "Don't under, don't overvalue, because they'll jump all over you." Saying, "Where's your valuation?" I honestly thought there would be a bidding war, <laughs> and I, I couldn't. I when they when I don't know Damon went out first. I just couldn't believe. It. I'm like, okay, I guess they don't get it like this, or they don't. You know they care mostly about money. I was trying to get to get impress on upon them how good it felt when your technology is used around the world and saves a life and someone thanks you. That was the shock that they didn't want to have that feeling. But you know that's okay. We're all different. But
0: it, so a little disappointment. Uh, don't get the deal. Then what happens? So this is five years ago. Um, right what happens
1: you know after the
0: show airs and okay yeah day one
1: day one I'm disappointed day two I'm relieved because I realize now I don't have this partner and it's a massive amount of work to get to the point of filming and it's a massive amount of prerequisites they put in there you know applications legal stuff all this stuff and then even when I talk to Mark Cuban on during the filming I go he goes, yeah, I've got 72 companies or whatever you had back then. I said, Yeah, I was wondering how much attention you could give me. And I realized it wouldn't be him calling me, it would be his some 30-year-old intern calling me, hassling me about sales or where where you know what trade show you going to, why you make them in Hawaii. All I like, I don't want any of that. So I just, it was just and then some of the Shark Tank guys, they started a, a group. I don't know, what you know about that, the, the Shark Tank. We got this little group on Facebook of people that have been on the show. I mean you know, brainstorm with each other. Very powerful. And, and one of the things I learned right away is they call it the gift that keeps giving because CNBC has aired my piece over 40 times in the last five years. And every time they air it, I get more inquiries, sales, whatever. And it's all so it's a great piece of media back to me always working the media. And I just, again, I, I thought about it, I, I was kind of right after i'm like well i'm I'm, fu- I'm fully profitable now yes i want to grow it and save all these lives but i guess that's not in the cards and and sure enough people were contacting me everyone every time it airs people say, "Do you still need money and i always say to them i don't want your money i, I don't want money because money means I'm, I'm in bed with you which you know offense to people but i don't want to an answer to people i want someone to buy the whole thing or license the whole thing but big numbers and no one, no one sees that. So I'm not, the other thing is I've seen people age and it's good to have something to do. You know, this is, this is my baby. I don't know if you guys have kids. It's good to watch your babies grow. Right. I, I'm not going to, I'm not going to just discard my baby for one good meal or whatever they would be pa- paying me. And the other thing is I went through 15 years of someone morphing my baby in little minor ways. And I, I, I did dealt with it. It was fine, but, you know, sometimes you get frustrated because it's going in a direction you don't want it to go. So I'm like, I-, I can do whatever I want now. And, and you know, it's 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 been really good. Man. I still wish I could massively blow it up so it saves thousands of lives and, and it's become standard equipment everywhere. It's standard It's standard on SpaceX. That's my latest big achievement. Oh, and, you know, that that's like the trump card on any of the techies. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm going to the... <laughs> We're having a, a reunion with the Shark Tank guys. And I'm coming right in with a Rescue Streamer SpaceX shirt on for the, I'm like, you know, you guys, you know, Scrub Daddy and all these big Shark Tank guys, you sold millions, but I got it under the ass of astronauts every time. And it's a piece of plastic that I built on my lanai my house originally. So, you know, that's that's really gold. And NASA just called me too. They, they want to put it on the Artemis program for going to the moon. So I'm like, okay, cool. That that's really fun.
0: You know, you you alluded to wanting it to be mandatory law required, whatever right. terminology you used. Have you, in any sector or area, have you made any progress? You mentioned lobbyists. I mean, is that something that you feel like you've ever gotten close to, or is uh. that just a wild dream?
1: No, I, we did. I mean, it's hard because you literally like like flares and CDI, th- those are in the congressional record, the FARs, the federal, federal regulations, and you have to, have to change the law. So it's a big lift. What, what we did do was get it approved by all the militaries and some di- divisions or groups of militaries. It's like standard to them required, but to get across the board. And what we are going for ultimately is life jackets have to have certain degree of flotation, right? So you get thrown out of a plane or a, or a boat, you're you're gonna die if you sink. So you have to have a flotation device. Well, shouldn't you have a certain You have a certain level of flotation. You should have a certain develop of degree of signaling, because they're not gonna find you. You can float all you want. You're gonna die if they don't find you. So ultimately, we want them to be incorporated into. Life jackets. That's the to me the easiest lift. And even lower than that is at least life rafts, every life raft. And some of the big contractors, it's in all a certain company has them in all their life rafts, aviation life rafts. So we're getting there slowly, but what we're looking for is the Coast Guard to say, yeah, this is obviously groundbreaking. There's nothing like it. They the Navy called it the only passive and continuous signaling device. It was brand new. So Here's a problem. It's been solved. It's a Mickey Mouse number to solve the problem financially, especially the base units, which don't have electronic lights or cam lights or reflectors originally. So, you know, for the price one quarter of one quarter of one quarter of one quarter of one quarter percent of whatever vehicle you're in, aircraft, boat, what have you, you can protect your people. And it's just, it's still frustrating to me, but I know how to do it. And that was the point on the show to me. Let's get in there. You Mark Cuban, I, you I can call my senators or uh, representatives. We I can call people and if someone like you can have a bigger voice, a bigger media spread, you, we could do this. But, you know, Mark Cuban thought it's too much of an all or nothing bet. You know, it's either going to get mandated or it's not. And then but that's why I, you know, my whole philosophy is never quit your day job so you can quit your day job. I would never put all my eggs in the mandatory basket. Mandate basket, I would say keep selling it everywhere, but in parallel try for a mandate. Why not? And you know, it's it's still frustrating, but I think what's happened is that people that learn about it think, oh, this is pretty obvious. You know, you know, it's it's an obvious solution and they cost 80 bucks on Amazon and you're protected. It's just it's really, it's really odd to me how people don't think that it's ever gonna happen to them. And then we've looked at things like insurance companies, the people that insure boats or aircraft. Could you get a, a little discount on your insurance if you have these? You know, but people, manufacturers don't want to admit that anything can ever go wrong. So boat boat people don't sell you a boat with a bunch of life jackets and life rafts. So it's a real, it's a tricky line to walk, and that's why I found the military people that are professionals that that look at survival and safety and. and Again, this is kind of ironic, but it's probably going to be the, the international people accept it more than the Americans. We kind of have a cowboy attitude, just like where did airbags and seatbelts come from? They came from Europe and the mandates came from Europe. So maybe that's where the focus should be. And we have a lot of customers over there. So, again, that might be maybe maybe an international lobbying group that goes, to, goes, goes down the, the line of every progressive European company country. That, that says we protect our citizens, we protect our military. I mean, well, like for instance, the Canadian Air Force, they have them on all their flight jackets. Okay, so they kind of mandated it that they bought them for all their flight jackets. So why haven't we, you know, there's stuff like that. And the, they, I, I don't want to mention names, but one of the Air Forces puts them on all their F-16s. Oh, and it's just, it's just, it's hit and miss where they go. But I've decided not to get too frustrated with it, you know, because it's just, it's just you're pushing a, any survival business, you're pushing a boulder up the hill because no one wants to hear about it. They just don't want to care. They don't care about safety. And, and even in my uh, Shark Tank pitch, I wanted to shoot for women because I believe us guys are more macho, pig headed, arrogant. It's not going to happen to us. Women are like, what kind of safety do you have? When are you going to be home? Call me when you get in from the water. So. And I still think a majority—not a majority—at least half of our sales on Amazon are from women. Now I don't know if it's for themselves or they're buying it for their loved ones, but either way. Well, you—you
2: you, know—you make a good point. Uh, having uh, been brought up on boats and owned boats, and, and no right. uh, salesperson is going to uh, deliver uh, a 30-foot cabin cruiser to you, and just before he or she accepts a check, they're not going to say, "Oh, here's a." Uh, Life raft and a sea exactly. screamer. You're going
1: to need this. <laughs> exactly, exactly. That, it's it's comical, but it's not. And even even historically, when I've done boat shows, it's just so upbeat and playful. And, and I don't want to be the gloomy doomsday booth. This is what can happen to you. And and I'm I've been very careful not to ambulance chase. I can easily go after. And even on Shark Tank, I opened with statistics. My Google uh, search is set to the phrase "lost hiker" and "lost at sea," all day, every day. Lost at sea, lost at sea, lost hiker. So it happens all the time, all over the world. But again, and I could I could show pictures of drowned bodies and dead people in, in the in the mountains, but I'm not going there, and I'm not going like if some like if a community like in somewhere, let's say Seattle loses up hikers and they die and they had to search for three days. I'm not going to Seattle and selling them and getting in the paper there. I'm not doing that. And I know I can make money doing that, but I'm not doing that. That's a line I don't want to cross.
2: You know, I, uh, I've made a living for many, many years selling insurance and uh, training and teaching people how to sell insurance. So your, okay. your story resonates. I, I think that, you know, our, our saying for many years was it's, better to have this and let's pray that you'll
1: never need it. Exactly.
2: I think that, you know, that's what you adopted, right? That philosophy.
1: Absolutely. And and again, simplicity and foolproof, you know, I'm a water guy stuff in the salt and the sun on a boat, on an airplane, it breaks all the time and everyone loves their smartphones. But when the batteries break, people are running or walking around like zombies. They don't even know what to do. So (laughs) what's going to happen when you're out at sea and you got nothing that works. You know, the dye is a clump and it sinks. The flare is a dud, or you shoot it and it puts a hole in the wrap. You know, your electronics are salty and the battery's dead. Guess and even and all the demos I did in the early days, that we would shoot off the flare, smoke, die, and, and, and then we'd be gone in seconds. And then I'd put the stream around, I go, okay, I'm going to sleep. My signal's working for me all day, all night. And the military also liked it because it's discretionary. So if the enemy comes around, they can pull it back in and then redeploy it. It's the only single device that's, you know, retractable and then redeployable. So that's a, a big thing because you, sometimes you want to hide in the military world.
2: Well, I but, think if Tom Hanks would have had this in that one movie, the movie would have <laughs> only been like 27 minutes long, they would have found I, him.
1: Exactly, that's in my media horrorism. I got, uh, I got a blurb written by Men's Journal, and that was the headline was Gilligan's Island would have been one episode if they had the streamer, <laughs> which was great, you know, and I love to let people do their thing. I, I'm pretty good at not controlling. I may have sounded kind of harsh about my licensee, but I let them run with it. And even anyone I work with, you got a good idea. You're my rep. Just don't go out of bounds. Go sell them. Be creative. But, you know, you got to let people run with things and uh, have a feel of a little ownership.
2: I, by the way, the, uh, Tom, I think this is the first time we've interviewed someone who's actually admitted that they're a media whore, so this is very refreshing.
1: Yeah, well, <laughs> I'm, in, I'm in a step program. <laughs> you know, it's, it,
0: it's funny, I wanted to ask you about that. I mean, what just high level, I mean, I'm, I'm like a media PR idiot, so I'm just curious, right. just real high level you know, what do you do to get people's attention? Do you write the story for them and say, hey, here's what I think would be interesting to your audience, your readers? I mean, what what would someone do if an entrepreneur's list this? And they're like, yeah, I mean, I can, obviously we can hear your passion. It's completely right. authentic and real. I mean, if someone's passionate about the problem they're solving, the product they have, what, what did they do to get, you know, organic, non-paid
1: attention right. for it? Well, again, I'm old school. I picked up the phone. And I make a hundred calls to get one article and, and, you know, and be polite. I'm, I'm a polite pain in the ass. I'm going to call you and keep calling you until you tell me to not call me. Like I said, it took me three years of calling outside magazine and they go, oh, we can't do anything this. And they were just lying. To me. They were trying to get rid of me. I go, well, can I call you back? Yeah. Call me back in April. So I wrote on a little piece of paper, April call outside magazine, keep calling them. And, and I'm a fisherman too. So in fishing, you don't put one line out with bait and sit there all day. You, ideally, you have a hundred lines out. You want to put all of it out. And the other thing, people try to go for the home run first. You got to go local first. I, if there's a local newspaper, do that. And I pitch everyone. I, I was into crowdsourcing before it was even a thing. I asked the, the person at the post office, "Hey, what do you think of this?" And I, and and even even for Shark Tank, you you got to keep practicing your pitch. And you nailed it to, yes, I have the passion, so it's easy for me. But I would advise if you're gonna pitch your idea invention technology, pick one that you love, that you're into. Don't don't half-ass it and just go and and try to find common people that believe or one person and then ask them if you can share what they wrote. So like I said, Miami Herald, I got them to write something. I was back to visit the relatives in Miami and I convinced a, ro- a reporter for the sports section to write that and that was huge you only know got back before the internet how many people read the sports section and like my father-in-law read it and he you know he had marginal opinion of me because i was a swashbuckling surfer and scientist <laughs> but then his high-end friends are saying hey man now your son-in-law's a genius he invented that thing and you so say you don't know where it's all going you go out after everything and and i mean again i i, I guess polite pain in the ass and know your stuff i pitch it i pitch this so many times for 30 years that i'm so comfortable i always tell young entrepreneurs no one knows it better than you you know learn your learn your craft learn your technology and you you start hearing the same questions so you start developing your response to them you know and and of course being a good listener i I have trouble with that because i i talk a lot but i'm I like better with these cues when I can see people fall asleep or their eyes start rolling. It's harder to do like <laughs> by text or email. Cause you have it's a one way I prefer at least phone and ideally in person or, you know, video conferences. Second Doctor,
2: best. Dr. Rob, is it fair to say that you may be a little bit of a unicorn in that uh, you're such a great and intelligent and thoughtful inventor, but also you have, what I call sales DNA. You're not afraid to put yourself out there. And that those two things typically don't go together.
1: No, you're right about that. And, you know, even, even in the sciences, I'm a scientist that can talk to regular people. And I pride myself on being a translator and I I take it as as the ultimate challenge. It's like, okay, I'm talking to the person that's going to sell me a bean burrito. I got to tell them about my technology in 10 seconds. How do I Simplify it yet keep it exciting for that person. Then I'm going to talk to a PhD in engineering and materials. I don't want to talk about the composition of material. So I have to again make a new blurb that interests him, that isn't talking down or up to him so or her, but just kind of trying to engage person to person. And yeah, you know, the customer is always right. I mean, I definitely i came from a sales background. My father was into menswear in Chicago after the war. He was a Purple Heart guy from D-Day, D-Day plus 90, Battle of the Bulbs. And he, you know, it's just, he started a business in our house that lasted for 60 years. The other thing that I really believe in is to be your own boss is, you know, I wrote a book called Hardcore Inventing. The working title was Inventing in Your Underwear because my father had never had any clothes on and he was running his business and my friends would come over and say hey, dad can you put some pants on and, and you know you think about that and, and he had some really powerful friends my parents but he was kind of a mid, mid to upper mid-level guy with a great uh, lifestyle and, and, and I have high-level friends now and a lot of them fill envy my historical great lifestyle with okay I have moderate money so you gotta actually ask yourself what's important in life and You know, in the Shark Tank world, it it was all about money all the time, but I was brought up with lifestyle and being able to work in your underwear is of high value because then you can spend time with your kids, you can do your thing. He didn't even surf. I'm a surfer. The the waves don't know that it's good on Saturday or Sunday only. The best waves are Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. You have to be flexible. (laughs)
2: Well, so, uh, By the way, Tom is in his underwear right now, Doctor.
1: Yeah,
0: <laughs> it's not true.
1: <laughs> Ultimately, we all are, hopefully, or something. <laughs> no, it, it's a, it's a, it's been a crazy journey. But yes, yeah, sales number one. I mean, you, you talk to any, all these people pitch me. Funny, you know, I, I, what are you working on? They tell me what I'm work. They're working on. I go, what about sales? You know, the, if you cannot ignore that, and I always tell them, don't even build anything until you have a purchase order. You know, if you want to build. A whole container full of their product, and then you have one of the, then they make one change and that product's not good anymore. And one of the smart things I did was to come out with the basic streamer first. It didn't have lights, reflectors, auto-deploy, all the all the bells and whistles it now has. It didn't have at the beginning. I knew that they could come later, which helped in the patent position too. You can't just re-up a patent, but you can invent a new patent, patented component of something
0: and and that way
1: i got crossover overlapping patents and i i got a simple unit out first to do test marketing right are people going to buy this are they going to use it and you know sure enough that like for instance we have a, a big one and a small one we have an even smaller one now that's become our smaller for 20 years but it wasn't until the scuba diver crew said this is a little big for us we can't go and dive for this can you make it a little smaller so we did all the testing and looked at the minimum size and then showed, showed it to the Coast Guard. And one of the Coast Guard guys, this would be great if you could fit on, a, fit on a belt. So we put it in a holster. And those two changes were huge because small and on a holster is like a cell phone. And my whole premise is if, if you if you don't carry it on you, you're not going to use it. And, you know, lost at sea, 60-something percent of the, the drowned males they find lost at sea have the same situation their zipper is down okay so you say why is their zipper down and are they dead floating because they go to take a leak off the end of the boat and you want to get as far, far away from other people or the boat or yourself that's when you fall in and when you fall in the first thing you think of is i'm not pulling my zipper up i'm, I'm i gotta get stop drowning and dying so they drown with their zipper down. so point is if they had flotation or signaling on them they would be in a better position if they're wearing it. So another thing I, I want to do is build, really, I, I would like to build garments. And years ago, they have they have some on the market, like jackets that turn into life jackets, but they look like a jacket you're wearing. You know, it, it's that way you don't, you're not looking like you're wearing a life jacket. We all have the problem without looking too geeky. You know, I, I don't want to have a big old life jacket, like I can't swim. Whereas if I had a little belt or a holster or a windbreaker that had devices built into it that would be a good thing
2: well you you paint a very interesting picture uh and i can't tell you how many times over the years i've leaned over an edge of a boat to pee but i've fallen but i will tell you that now as i think about it if i do fall uh i know i'm going to drown uh because i'm fat and out of shape but i am going to zip up my zipper i don't want to be found with my zipper down (laughs) so thank you for that
1: you're welcome. It reminds me of the old days. My grandmother used to tell my mother that you got to wear good underwear, underwear, when you go on a trip, car trip. What for? Well, if if you die and they find you, you can't have classless underwear on. That, that's a real story.
2: It, it makes total sense to
1: me. <laughs> I like
2: it.
0: What it. What's maybe the biggest regret or biggest thing that you would do over in you know your time with this product? Is there
1: one thing if you could go back and tell yourself, hey, do this instead of that, that comes to mind? I used to think there were things I did on Shark Tank that I would have done differently to try to get a deal. But the more I've gone on, I realized it's better not to have a deal because, you know, again, I, I, I'm too old to be micromanaged at this point. And, and even if they're not micromanaging me directly, but if I had investors, there would be too much where I could lose control. And I'm not really a control freak. I like to let people do their own thing. But if I don't want people, I don't want to owe people, I don't want people owing me money or me owing them money. So I used to think that was their, that some of the things I did on the show. But in general, I, I think I made a lot of the right calls. And, and what, I think what I did right was pick of all my inventions, this is the one that kept coming back. I'm like, this is a long term thing. I know it's right. It's going to meet resistance because it's too new and it's too simple. It's too easy. You know, it's KISS. Keep it simple, stupid. It's too easy. And I knew that would meet resistance. It's also on the F-22. You know, at SpaceX and F-22, these are the most sophisticated billion dollar technologies in the world. And they have a little piece of plastic on it that I thought of. So it's like, People have a have problems. And one of the things I did do that was smart is we I realized that people take things more seriously when it's more technical and more expensive. So we have an auto-deploy one for the F-16s, hits the water, and whether the pilot's dead or unconscious, and within 30 minutes, the pouch dissolves, the streamer comes out, there's magneto switches that switch on, that get it armed, and it won't flash till night, and it'll do three consecutive nights on and three consecutive days off. It's unbelievable, but it costs like a thousand dollars. And I knew a lot of lay people aren't going to buy it. But when the military people saw that there's this high, well, that's a great idea. But I can buy one for a hundred. I'll take the hundred-dollar one instead of a thousand and hope that the guy is, you know, ambulatory and can unfurl it. But I mean, I had a long journey in terms of. It's just the way my life unfolded with my wife being sick in the wheelchair and little kids. I, I just was scrambling all the time, and. I really didn't even have a chance to think about whether I'm making the right moves. And even now I, I'm at, I'm all beyond all that. It's like, I think I made the right moves. Cause I'm still standing, right? I'm still here. And for me, the company's still here. The other thing about investors is let's say I did sell it out and I, I was in blue startups, a startup program. Again, they they encourage you to get investors and, you know, keep blowing it up, which is great. But what happens when that fails? I've watched too many companies where they're, they'll just have an auction for the patent and just be done with it and I'm and, and even some of my early or secondary uh negotiations with a possible licensee included the, the 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 uh point that if it if you guys fail I want it back just like the 15 year one if you when you when it's over whether you fail or the 15 year run I want it all back cuz I want to keep doing this and and that was really useful and it still is. I, I don't want to give it up. And even you know, it, it may not make a lot of money, but when I'm 90 years old, 100 years old, I want to be able to do something. And I think, I think a lot of people in, in the health world, they they overlook the the micro. And you want to do something with your hands. Instead, macro, you want to stay in shape and you want your, your mind to, use to work well. But you should also work with your fingers and try to. I think people that were like the the, the women knitting. You know, there, there's instances where, and even old time, you know, regular humans, before we got so sophisticated, we were always using our hands to do things. I think that makes for long living. And, yeah, you know, I've been a surfer a long time. I, I'm kind of selfish. I want to keep doing it. And I, I enjoy life. So I'm not ready to cash in on any, you know, I'm ready to keep going. But I still want to blow it up. So no, it's, I, every morning, every morning when I pick
0: Joe up at his retirement home, I tell him. You know, you can't, you can't sit there all day. You know, we need no, to exactly. get you into the office and, and be productive. So yeah. he fights yeah. me, he fights me some mornings, but.
1: You got to get happens, something Joe? you love. The key is gonna, not, you can't, you can't go to the gym and work out unless you love that. For me, I love to surf paddle, swim, walk my dogs. I, I everything I, I ride my bike to stores. I, everything I do is physical. But I'm not working out. I've never gone to the gym in my life. I am I weigh the same as I weighed in college because I keep doing things that I have a passion for. It's easy, but you just got to keep doing it. And of course, the food is number one. You know, you got to eat right.
2: Yeah. So. Well, I just, I, I want to share with you, uh, Dr. Rob, that I, I just, I grabbed the Yellow Page. It's a phone book. I just okay. found the number for the for the elder abuse hotline, and I'm gonna <laughs> report Tom Healy. But really, I really I want to tell you something. I'm I'm really really impressed with uh, your your mindset, your continent, uh, just your your state of being relevant to happiness. Your your right. things that you Thank want, you. but you're very very happy. And I th- and you're very much in the present. I feel like you're you know you're right. living your life, you're loving your life. You've Thank realized you. what's important to you. And yep. You see some people, you sense, and we won't mention names, but some people a little too caught up in the trappings of success, right. it's money, right. and right. that's fine. That's their decision. It's good for them. But I love where you're at. I love how you articulate where you're at because you want more. You're not slowing down. You have no intention of slowing right. down. But at the same time, you're very much in the present, living a beautiful life. No, thank you. And it's like I tell people, I
1: shoot for the moon, but if I only get a suborbital flight, that's okay too. I got <laughs> off the ground. I mean, I'm go. I want to go all the way. And I, who's coming with me? And if no one's coming, I don't get there. That's okay. And, and don't try. you and don't you agree
2: that that type of balance, that type of philosophy, is how we sustain? our energy, and our passion for a long time.
1: Absolutely. Uh, and, I, and Some of my best friends and family went to mid-90s. My father and Louis Zamperini, the guy from Unbroken that was lost. At, he, he became a good friend of mine because I call, I cold called him 20, 30 years ago, and I told him who I was after the Olympics, the Nagano Olympics. My brother found his phone number, and he goes, I told him about the streamer. He goes, where the hell were you 50 years ago when I needed you? you know, <laughs> if they flew over him, they would have found him. And I saw with him what he did and he was just passionate about giving back to his foundation with his kid, helping uh, troubled kids turn their lives around, and just taking joy in the little things in life. And, you know, and he lived in Hollywood and his wife was like a starlet. So he, was, he, didn't, he wasn't impressed with all that. And, you know, I have friends that are massive stars. My one friend is a huge, he's a mayor of Golden Beach. We were We were pool boys when we were kids in Miami. We were little, little grunts that were just wannabes. And part of it is, you know, the Tom Brady. I got a chip on my shoulder from being drafted in the sixth round. Yeah. We had that because we were these little punks setting up your towel and lounge chair at the beach. And we couldn't get the girls. The waves sucked in Miami. The whole thing sucked. I, you know, I was a late bloomer. <laughs> I was 5'8 in high school. So the whole thing was a drag. But three of us pool boy underdogs, the other guy's a rock star. The hundred millionaire guy is just like he's the mayor of Golden Beach, and it's it's you know, I and mean, we all have achieved our own ways, but it's all and I, I tell us, and women are really offended by this, and I don't know why, but I'm I think it's switching is that competition is good for some reason. I shouldn't even say that when men, women, whatever. People, I love to compete, and we competed about everything, and it was for fun. That that's how you you know, you 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 compete. You learn, you correct what you did wrong, and you keep competing. You just and, and laugh the whole way. It's fun. It's fun to compete. It's fun to have people go at you. I mean, that's the other thing. People are so afraid to put it out there. A lot of these inventors, they never want to fail, right? They never want to put it out there. And I, I love the chance to fail. <laughs> I don't want to fail, but I like the game. I like being in the game, and it, it gives you a certain attitude.
2: Yeah, that uh, that loving to complete compete i think of uh my favorite athlete is jack nicholas i'm a golfer and jack was the ultimate competitor because he just wanted to beat the tar out of someone but after the last putt fell whether he won or lost he would smile uh opponent congratulate him and he'd
1: always say wasn't this the best wasn't this fun
2: exactly and you know uh
1: I saw him at Doral when I was a kid. I was into golf in my teen years, and I said, "What am I doing? I, I'll do this when I get older." But he was at a, <laughs> he, he was at a, a tournament. and I said hello, you know. I was like a groupie, give me a ball. He was mean and snarling, and You know, he was snarling at me. But it was in in the game. I shouldn't have been upsetting him, and I, I learned that later. And then years later, this is funny and current as uh, I went to Florida State. And I used to play a lot of basketball. I I lived in the gym. I was, I mean, I could have I could have been a contender if I was 6'8 instead of 6'1. <laughs> and I Mitchell Wiggins, you know Andrew Wiggins, are you following yeah, this? Sure. His fa- his father went to Florida State and he was playing Artis Gilmore's brother, who was a seven-footer. And we were waiting for the team to get off the court so we could play. And I said to Wiggins, I said, I'll give you a, a better game than him, because he was killing this seven-footer. And he he looked at me, and I thought he was going to hit me. He goes, I th- He goes, come on, okay, let's play. And he kicked my ass, like 20 to nothing by ones. He <laughs> went high, as high as he could go to a jump shot. I could jump as high as I could, and I could only touch his elbow. But you know what he said to me after? He goes, thanks, man. I learned something from you. And it was so humble. And he was truthy. He, he, he just – I don't know what he learned from me. Maybe that I was stupid enough to challenge him. But we became buddies, and it was so cool how humble – Yet when the game started, he was just all on like his son. I mean, it's just, I've gotten a lot of good lessons from ultra competitors. And you're right, when they're on, they're on. And I've learned, I don't even get near anyone when when they're going into their game. I totally respect it. Do your thing. I'll talk to you after, if you even want to. If you need two days to cool down, I'll talk to you after two days. But I totally respect people having their game face and going in. Well, this has been uh, this has been
2: great talk. Yeah, we enjoyed this. Thanks for being on with us. Oh, my
1: pleasure. You guys are doing a good thing. I mean, you know, it's 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 a crazy journey, and I I I do a lot of outreach to kids all over the islands, to different schools. I I like the young ones because they got they got the still intact creative minds, like elementary, middle schoolers. I do. There's a girls um, girls in tech thing we have in seventh graders here. I'm part of that, but then I'm also part of the university. And I, I, you know, I'm always preaching all my little things, all what I've learned. But my number one gripe, and I've had it since 2007, is smartphones are the downfall of Western civilization. And now, 15 years later, I'm more right than I was 15 years. And my kids are still hassling. They luckily got through high school with regular flip phones. But the the ability, when I grew up, if you if you could watch tv all day we made fun of you endlessly we you know we we were not nice to each other so if we if we saw a weakness so for now it's acceptable to watch tv all day and everyone has a color tv in their pocket i call bullshit on all that and i and i think for kids the creativity you've got to be out there in nature or just get stuck on a problem where you can't just find the answer right away and you're not a follower all these kids on Instagram, everyone's are scrolling all the time, scroll, scroll. And I I do it too, but it's not, it doesn't work on my phone. So I'm not, everywhere I go, I'm not scrolling. That's only back at home base. So these kids and adults that are scrolling all the time, you're just looking at other people's stuff, unless you're following pure geniuses and pure creative people, and you're just, you know, reading these great articles they're sending you, you're, you're you know, it's, it's entertainment, purely. There's no education in it, and as long as you acknowledge that. But I've really even seen in my outreach how the kids minds have gotten less and less creative over the years, yeah. because all they want to do is make an app that solves a problem. And when I have little invention contests for them, I'm like, okay, one rule, no robots. And number two is no, no robot, meaning your smartphone can't solve the problem, you have to solve the problem. So. Um, you know that's that's my rant that I give these kids hell every time any kids or adults and I, I always pull my phone out I, I, I don't well I have my phone here now it's still it's pretty weird it's like a fat black belt. the hell is that thing yeah <laughs> I can get on the internet but I can't scroll it's awesome it weighs like five pounds it's like a brick they made it for construction <laughs> guys and everyone gives me shit about it, but I'm like, hey, I'm not scrolling all day. If I need to make a call or a text, this thing works. And I, <laughs> I used to have it. a little, I used to have a candy bar phone. I'm not gonna follow, find my, my original phone. And people didn't believe that that was my phone. I'm like, yeah, I want, I want to talk in black and white and text in black and white. I want to think in color up here. I don't want my phone producing color, beautiful images that just lull you to sleep it's just like watching tv look at a kid or an adult watching tv look at their face is that a picture of engagement and intelligence no it's a picture of blank stare zombieism i mean it's bad (laughs) love it hey where can
0: where can people buy the product
1: uh sea rescue streamer amazon basically or, or contact us directly and we're always looking for reps. If if you're a boating uh, boating group, sail group, dive group, mountaineer group, the Amazon has a sale price. They're 120 and 80 on sale. But if you contact me directly, I'm always looking out to, for people that want to either sell on our behalf or give a, a better price. You know, because we have we have a uh, of course we have to pay Amazon and our reps. So by, but so there's some wiggle room in there. So people come to us directly we can help them. So either way, but Amazon- When they come to
2: you directly, do they call that phone, that little brick phone?
1: And and you know, when I text you back, I I don't, there's no screen, there's buttons. So I, A, B, B, D, D, D. So if I send you a text, you should value that and realize I put a lot of work into that text. Oh my God. I,
0: I haven't thought about that in years. That's the one where you have to, let me pull mine up here. So if you want to type in
1: F, you have to hit three three times absolutely and i will admit it does have a little search thing on the bottom so it'll pop up the word like yeah. if i put f o it'll guess food or four i can, could i could it, it has that feature of guessing but yeah i'm, I'm doing the work i'm doing the work uh, that's great <laughs> Someone that just meets you, man, he's he's really a jerk.
0: I mean, he gives me these like one and two word responses. No, 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 totally and, then, and then they then they meet you and they
1: see that thing, they go, okay, that makes sense. No, but I'm I'm I'm, I'm famous for long texts. If I like you, you get a paragraph. I love to write, so it's just it's not the most efficient thing. But I I actually think you know, no pain, no gain. Huh? The other thing is, I, I'm willing to outwork you. Whatever it is, I'm willing. My whole life, I'm gonna outwork you i figured out school if i get all a's my parents can't touch me my i've I've derelict friends but i got all a's how about this when i was 16 years old again pre-internet pre-phones my parents taught us how to travel we traveled every summer in the station wagon they had a big wooden box on the roof and they taught us how to go to AAA and make a maps of how you get places so i said to my parents listen uh the surf sucks in Miami I got them getting all A's can I borrow the car and they say well who's going and I named three of my friends and three are like you know one one's OD'd now the other's a, a rock star they weren't like they're they're good people but they were not like uh valedictorian type of people so I said well, well I'm taking my friends from Miami we're going to go on a surf trip they go where are you going New York New York I go yeah my friend's brother lives there can I borrow the car And their whole thing was the three R's, respect, responsibility, resourcefulness. I had all three off the scale, straight A's. Okay, I had derelict friends, but I was responsible. I was resourceful. I was respectful of people. They gave me the car. I took the car for a month at 16. Ask young parents if they would ever do that with their kids. They probably wouldn't do it with 26, with backup smartphones and uh, drones hovering over the car, whatever they might do. But yeah, I, 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 it's just last it's last, last question. Who's the rock star? Uh, Jane's Addiction. You know Jane's Addiction? Yep. The guy that started Lollapalooza, Perry Farrell.
2: Perry Farrell, one yep. of my favorite. He, he, he was a, he was a little
1: geek from New York. He got, he got to our high school in ninth grade. We were on the freshman basketball team together. I was a midget. And he was even smaller, I hadn't grown yet. I was 5'8", he was 5'2". And we're sitting on the bench and I'm like, hey man, you gotta come surfing. I had just started surfing a couple of years ago. Like, you gotta come surfing with us. And I kind of took him under my, our wing, my wing and he became like this rock star surfer and I'm still hanging with him. I'll be, I'll be at a show in a couple months. Love we're it. still tight yeah we've done he's one of good. my
2: one of my favorite bands porno for pyros
1: yeah yeah, yeah. that's his other band they're <laughs> playing again porno for pyros oh really it's july 7th in la they're playing and then when taylor hawkins passed away on yep. that they had to cancel and then jane navarro the the lead guitar player got sick he has long covid so they canceled and they put porno for pyros back together and they took the slot. So they played at a festival in Florida and now they're playing again July and they're touring. Uh, Jane's uh, touring with uh, Smashing Pumpkins all over the country this, oh. this fall. I'm going to go to one of those shows. But yeah, we, we went to, uh, they asked me to go to Sumatra, Indonesia, Warner brothers paid and we shot a music video for Tahitian moon, which is a different country, but I don't know if you ever saw that. You can Google that on MTV. So we went out there and shot a movie in, the, in the deep cerebral malaria they had there. One mosquito bites you, you die. It was pretty heavy, but it was good. The waves were good, and yeah, it, it's been cool. And it's interesting. again part of my thing about people success. How do you measure success? I have friends that are truly rock stars, and he sometimes wishes he was more like situated in Hawaii and still surfing more. You know, he's got the creativity. I mean, I love Jane's Addiction and Porno for Pirates. Brilliant stuff. He's a brilliant guy. He started a while with Looza, Very successful. But again, what's your lifestyle measurement? And my other buddy who's got Ferraris, we go to our high school reunion. None of the girls would talk to us in high school. And now they're all coming out to us. I'm like, hey, I don't want to talk to you. You wouldn't give me the time of day. And they're like, yeah, uh, you were, I was. Just, you were just shy. I'm like, no, I wasn't shy. You wouldn't talk to me. <laughs> My other buddy, the guy that's a mayor, we go in his Ferrari, and it's just—it's a blast. It's all good. Well, it was a blast
2: talking to you. It's, yeah. By uh, it's, it's five o'clock somewhere, so I'm yeah, gonna... <laughs> exactly. Oh, yeah, go get your cocktail. <laughs> I'm gonna go get a cocktail. Um, we enjoyed this. Uh, we uh, I mean, appreciate you your story. Uh, so many, so many great little pieces of wisdom in here. And uh, we're big fans of your product, big fans of you personally, and uh, we know you're con- con- going to continue to fight the fight. And, and- no, I'm not going anywhere.
1: It's just who's going with me. I'm, I'm going. <laughs> so it was so nice to meet you. This was great. Same here, guys. You guys are great. All right, you take Thanks care. All right, man. Take care. See you.
0: All right, we're back, and definitely some good lessons from Dr. Robert. First of all, and, and in his words, not mine, be a media whore. Um, (laughs) As an entrepreneur, you know, what's better than free press, free publicity? So he had been on, you know, all the major news channels and had been interviewed about the product and, you know, certainly after some incidents were happening, you know, he'd be brought on as a subject matter expert. So, you know, if it's not your thing, don't do it. But if you don't mind being in front of the camera and you don't mind doing podcast interviews and TV interviews, it's just a great way to get your brand out there. And, uh, you know, you don't have to be the, the greatest on-air talent in the world but if you're a genuine authentic person that knows their stuff and has a passion for their product certainly it's, uh, it's a good thing to explore um, which ironically my, ne- my next point that I wrote down was just his passion for the product. The guy's really passionate about it. He's a big advocate for it and I think that's so important whether you're on interviews or you're selling the product to have a passion for it. And if you're creating something that you don't really have a passion for, and your energy level doesn't spike when you talk about it, maybe you shouldn't be doing it. I think a lot of people, whether it's their career or their business, end up doing things that they're doing, and they continue to do them because they were doing them, but are they really getting excited about it when someone asks them a happy hour what they do for a living? And if you're not, and there isn't that spike in energy, then perhaps you know, you're in the, the wrong area. Um, He's not an employee guy, hasn't had him, doesn't want him, uh, it's, it's not a model for everyone, but I would just say that if you think you may hate employees, then design a business where you need very, very few, if any. Uh, independent contractors, sales brokers, outsource marketing and finance and everything else. You can design a business where you don't need anyone full-time inside of it. and. I don't hate that model. Again, uh, do I need a factory where we're you know have a bunch of people on the floor packaging all these things? Well no, there's companies that'll do that. And do I need a full time CFO? No, nope, you can get that fractionally and everything. So it's not a bad model to consider. Um, and he's just a happy person and, and I and I think that You know, enjoying life and making decisions and designing things around what makes you happy is a great lesson for entrepreneurs. I remember years ago I was having this conversation with a buddy of mine and, you know, we were both pretty new into business and he was complaining about, oh, I'm overworked and I don't golf enough and this and that. And and I looked at him and I said, whose fault is that? He's like, what do you mean? I said, you're in charge of your calendar, dude. <laughs> like, you're the one that's putting stuff on your calendar seven days a week. You're the one that's opening up your laptop on Saturday morning. You're burning yourself out, and it's your own damn fault. So you have no one to blame but you. And he's like, yeah. So we just have to remember that that you know we we make a series of decisions that either bring us joy or or add stress, and we have to create those parameters. We have to create those rules. We have to create those those habits. So, Dr. Roberts, great great interview. Uh, really really cool guy. Hope you enjoyed it, and we'll see you next week on an all-new episode of Outside the Tank.